0: So I'm scrolling through my feed uh, the other day, and I came across this quote by Leonard Ravenhill, who was uh, born in uh, 1907, and probably could be called a liberal evangelical, as unhelpful as lames and labels are. And it said this. I saw, um, it said, if you want to be popular, preach happiness. If you want to be unpopular, preach holiness. And I reflected on that, about thinking how much of the enlightenment, where we were born as a country, where we are sort of born culturally at the center of ourselves, believe in this right to happiness, this inalienable right to happiness. And we are taught to expect to be catered to and to have our desires fulfilled, and that is an example of things going right. Those of us with privilege can take this for granted very quickly because it actually happens for us, that we get our way often enough that when we don't, we wonder, what's wrong? Folks who struggle with less privilege learn a little differently, that happiness maybe isn't so easy to be expected and that maybe paths to holiness might have a more lasting, more transforming character. I saw this bumper sticker years ago. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Has anybody seen that one? I know people who live this out or try to. And in many cases, happiness here has become deeply linked with money, and purchasing power, right? If we can't afford it, we can feel really bad about it. It throws us into this place of sorrow and shame and iniquity, words that we often reserve in the Bible for justice. It can feel as if, when we don't have the privilege to do what we want, that there is an injustice against us, and that's like a, a tough one to sort of puzzle and think about. But Jesus Christ died on the cross, not on a ride in Disneyland or vacationing in the French Riviera. Jesus did not pursue happiness. Jesus pursued holiness. No one can serve two masters Holiness is what we as Christians are supposed to be aiming for. Holiness is an honorable relationship to God in the spirit of the prophet Micah. What does the Lord require of you? To love justice, to be kind, and to walk humbly with God. So we begin a worship series that will s- focus on the story of the brothers Cain and Abel. And this story comes right at the beginning of the book of Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis, the writers and the editors of scripture have recorded the earliest stories of the Yahwistic tradition. Who is God? And who are we that God loves us? The story of creation comes first, and in seven days, with what seems like great swipes of a mighty arm, God creates the entire universe, including every blade of grass, and finally, humankind, wrapping up time to use that seventh day for rest and celebration. God calls all that he has created very good. The next big story is the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve who live in this beautiful garden, fully protected from all adversity. They only know peacefulness and holiness in relationship to God until the serpent shows up. The serpent tempts Eve to disobey God. She says, you know that tree over there that God says you can't eat any of the fruit from? Hmm, I wonder what God is hiding from you. The serpent discovers, or maybe the serpent already knows, that people are curious that humans are weak. And Eve eats the fruit of the tree. She starts to see the world as it is, rather than the world as we would have it be. And she passes the fruit to Adam and he also eats. And they discover their sexuality in their adulthood. They blush, they fall in love, they make a baby. When God returns to the garden and discovers the change, God expels them from the garden. They already ate from the tree that has brought raw badness, evil into the world, into their lives, rather. They must not eat of the tree of immortality. Humans are not gods. They're now going to have to lead real lives outside the sanctuary that God has provided for them. Whereas before they have only known comfort and peace and this relationship of holiness, now they will know adversity, struggle, badness, helplessness has entered their experience. A lot of people think that this is where sin enters in, mostly because of Pelagius and Augustine, fighting over why there is an original sin and why humans are such sinners. But this is not where that word shows up. That word shows up later. Adam and Eve move out of dad's garden and work to establish a life and make ends meet. The baby they made is and they are delighted. Look what we have done. A boy, a man. They name him Cain. They make another baby and Cain's brother Abel is born and more children follow. We are now in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis and the next big story is the story of these two brothers, Cain and Abel and how sin comes into the world. There are many pastors who say you can't preach about sin. Many pastors in my tradition, many people in the Ashland area, the Medford Valley, can't mention the word sin. We have used sin as a, in a sinful way, right? To hurt each other. The Bible as a weapon rather than a call back to God and to holiness. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things go a little wrong, and sometimes they go big wrong. And we have to have a way to talk about that. So Cable... uh, Cable. (laughs) Cain and Abel, before there were cables. (laughs) Cain is a farmer, and Abel is a herdsman. They bring an offering to God of their produce. Cain brings flaxseed, probably, and Abel brings the first parts, the choicest parts of the firstling lamb. John Wesley keeps a record of notes on the Bible, and his notes are just absolutely magnificent, and I have, he has a ton of notes on Cain and Abel. And while I, I love John Wesley dearly, and I find that I nod in agreement along to most everything he says, this one we, we're going to disagree. John Wesley paints us a picture of Cain and Abel very, very in line with the 1700s. And so the jurisprudence that shows up in that time is sort of projected onto what happened here in this story. He even imagines Adam as the priest who, who accepts the brothers uh, within a, a offering within like some sort of religious edifice or place. And of course, this is happening before there were technically Hebrews. This is happening right at the very beginning, before Egypt has happened, before there is an exodus. There is not a cultic understanding in the Yahwistic way yet but it helps to give us some ideas. Wesley imagines that how they know that Abel's sacrifice is acceptable and Cain's is not is that there's a great fire in the sky to show that God has accepted Abel's lamb. Wesley goes on to condemn Cain as wicked and subject to the kind of jurisprudence that we would call punishing, discriminatory, Racist. The story takes place thousands of years ago and Wesley is doing what the folks who have come to this story have been doing for that same period of time is trying to understand why does God Prefer Abel's sacrifice, commentator on commentator. Move to the book in a very messy patch of Hebrew that's actually where we're worried has been conflated or perhaps messed with because it makes no sense. Nothing in the scripture implies that Cain has done anything wrong. He's just brought, as a farmer, his first Over and over again, the commentators will accuse Cain of wickedness in his heart, and that's why God didn't like his sacrifice. Or they will say that it wasn't a good enough sacrifice, or he had withheld the best for himself, and he was faking it on the side. None of that is in the scripture. We also don't know how it is interpreted that God might have preferred it. For all I know, they laid it down on the altar and a big wind whipped up, and that lamb, it's all nice and fat, isn't going anywhere, but that flaxseed is off. (laughs) There might have been a lot of debate in the tribe that day about what God was thinking about that flaxseed. We don't know why it happened. Cain is the firstborn of the family, It's his role to hold the honor of the family, and he has just been embarrassed by his little brother. He's mad. And we are told that his countenance fell. I like the word here, crestfallen. Sometimes the simplest answer is the best. Cain feels slighted. He feels shame. He feels iniquity. The story continues. God notices Cain's anger and steps in. He said, why are you angry? Why are you looking so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? If you don't do the right thing, sin, and here's that word for the first time, will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. God says to Cain, Hey, be at peace. Lead a quiet life. Translations are tricky. And this bit of Hebrew really is troublesome. But there is a Hebrew idiom. Lead a peaceful and quiet life. A life of holiness. And this idiom shows up in Paul's letters in Theolonica and the Paul, Timothy. Paul warns Cain as any wise grandfather would... Uh, God warns Cain, sorry, as any wise grandfather would do... Child of mine, you are now wrestling with your own ego, your own sorrow, and a very human envy. You are angry because you didn't get what you wanted or what you expected. You thought you deserved more. But the situation is just the truth of living life. Sometimes you or your offering will not be the one that is preferred. Other times, Someone else is going to bring the tastier entree to the table. And that lamb that Abel brought was delish. Do the right thing, God says. Hang in there and it will work out. You will see there are many rewards to come. But be careful because sin is crouching, reclining at the door. It is ready to step over the threshold of the house the threshold of your body, the threshold of your heart. It is so easy to demonize Cain, just like we want something to be wrong with the offering so that it makes sense. We want something to be wrong with Cain, and that's why he turned into the sinful person that he did. We think to ourselves, I wouldn't make that choice. I'm better than Cain. I get to stand above that story and declare that Cain was unworthy from the beginning of those handful of flax seeds. And if he hadn't been so prone to sin in the first place and such a jerk, he wouldn't have sinned. I would have totally closed the door on that crouching sin beast outside. We say haughtily. It's so much harder to imagine and recognize and admit that I am Cain, that we are Cain, that we are not so different, that Cain is human, made in the image of God, just like me and you, on that sometimes we, we do the wrong thing. We try to justify our claim. We lie. We declare we should be happy. Being happy is not the end goal in life. He who dies with the most toys loses everything, for the least will be first. Cain was given the first opportunity to turn from entitlement from disgruntlement and to lead a holy life. He did not. Instead, he called his brother Abel to come out into the field, into the farmland from where he had harvested that offering that was rejected. And there Cain attacked Abel and killed him. Christ died on the cross, a place so far from happiness that we can safely describe it as a place of total and complete misery, was also the place of total and complete holiness. Lead a quiet life. Lead a holy life. Sin waits at the threshold. Amen. Let's take a moment to reflect.